glad you're here this weekend. If you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to turn to with me, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and listen, this is, I know this is a large group of scriptures uh, from verse 11 all the way through chapter 6, verse 2. And so I get that. I understand it. And it's going to take us about four weeks to like unpack this because I believe it's this important, especially in the times in which we live, for the church to understand. And so in, in case you weren't with us when we started uh, the series through 2 Corinthians, and we've been just going verse by verse, uh, sometimes word by word, line by line, and we have been getting everything out of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians that we could and apply it to us. And that's normally the way that we do messages here. That way it keeps us from not preaching the hard stuff and just preaching the easy stuff and the stuff we like. And, and so we come to this group of, of scriptures, and it's going to take me a few weeks to unpack this because, listen, I'm telling you, in these times, it's important for you to understand. It's important for the church to understand. And so in Corinth, if you remember, if you were with us when we started this series, in Corinth, what was going on, it was, it was in political unrest. And so they planted a church, the church was going well, and then you had all these factions coming into the church, Jews and, and Gentiles and Greeks, and all these people are coming in. And then all of a sudden, the politics of the day started seeping into the church, the church almost started to split. And so then it got to the point to where they were following man more than they following God. And then there's a portion that it says, you know, they're standing up. I follow Apollos and I follow Cephas, who was Simon Peter. Uh, I, uh, I follow Apollos. I follow, uh, I forgot the other one, Paul. I follow Paul. And then, uh, then someone else said, I follow Jesus. And then, then Paul got so frustrated. He said, you know what? I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you guys because you don't understand the gospel. And so he pressed into this issue, and you, see, you hear how frustrated he was, and he begins press, pressing into them, explaining the gospel. And here, here's what happens, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. You see this, you can play it out, you can read it for yourself. Whenever the people of God got confused, they got confused between man's kingdom and God's kingdom. You know what happened? Old Testament prophet pointed them right back to God. Just pointed them right back to God. In the New Testament, you know what they did? Whether it was Jesus, whether it was Paul, whether it was whoever, you know what they did? They pressed them back into the gospel because, listen, I'm telling you, I'm listening to some things and I'm seeing some things. And, and the church is going sideways on what the gospel means. Man, I saw it, right? You may have seen it with me. On January the 6th, with like the riots at the Capitol and the mob violence, and that is not the Jesus way. And I was like shocked. I'm like, this isn't my country. This isn't America. This, I, I could not. I mean, it, it's like seeing a bad accident. You, you, you want to look away. You just can't. And then all of a sudden, I started seeing all the religious symbols being used. The Jesus saves banner. The cross, I even, I even saw images of a man taking the cross and using it to like hit somebody. And I'm like, that's not my Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Gospels. That's, that's, not, that's not the Jesus of the Gospels. That's not the way of the kingdom. That's not the way of Jesus. And sometimes, listen, sometimes in these times, it is hard keeping Christianity Christian. And whenever in a society... When religious symbols are being used for political gain, the way that you depoliticize that, you point people back to God. 
You point people back to the gospel. You help them to understand what it means to be in the kingdom, what it means to be a God follower, what it means to follow him. And so Paul, in this moment, I'm going to read all of these scriptures, and I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you five quick points. And I'm going to tell you where we're headed for the next five weeks, and I, man, I hope it blesses you. I, I really do. And I hope you stay with me. Verse 11. Therefore, Paul starts, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. In other words, when you're a Christ follower, we don't just appear to be Christ-like. We live Christ-like. We follow him. We are following him, and we're a part of a different kingdom. Verse 13, for we are... For if we're out of our mind, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of, of Christ compels us. That word compels us. Listen, I'm going to try not to preach this as we go because I mean, there's so much here. In the Greek, that word compels us means he masters over us. He is our priority. Since we have reached this conclusion that one, so here's the gospel. If you want to know what the gospel is, here's the pure gospel. The one who died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we no longer know him in this way therefore if anyone so here's the central verse if anyone is in Christ guess what he is a new creation the old is passed away and see the new has come everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ has given us this ministry guess what ministry of reconciliation that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Aren't you glad? And he has committed this message of reconciliation to us. That's our message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God working together with him. We also appeal to you, we beg you, do not receive, listen, do not receive this grace in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I listened to you in the day of salvation I helped you. See, now this is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So over the next four weeks, this is just, we'll kick this thought off and then we'll unpack it over the next four weeks. I'm just going to walk through some doctrine of the gospel for you. I want you to understand this gospel. I want you to understand so you understand that when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You're a child of God. You are his. You're a part of his kingdom. And so we're going to look at justification, the doctrine of justification. Listen, we're going to do this really user-friendly. I'll work in more jokes as we go. How's that? 
Some of you get pretty bummed if I preach a sermon and it's like, why didn't you tell us a joke? And I didn't have one. <laughs> and the doctrine of justification is just as if I'd never sinned. To be declared righteous as Jesus Christ and therefore God looks at us like he looks at Jesus. And in Christ, when we understand justification, we are perfect and complete in him. We are totally and completely forgiven. We are deeply loved in him, lacking nothing. And listen, if you don't, get, if, if you don't understand that, then you'll buy into Satan's lie. You know what Satan's lie is? A performance trap. I must meet certain standards, certain performances, certain goals so that I feel good about myself. Can I just tell you, when you're in Christ, there's nothing you can do to get God to love you anymore and there's nothing you can do to get God to love you less. His love for you is based on his character and his performance. He, listen, he loves you. Another doctrine we're going to look at is just this reconciliation. I read this many times. You heard the word reconciliation. It means to be brought back into a right relationship with another through, through Christ him. Can I just tell you this? If you don't understand this doctrine, if you don't understand the gospel in a real way, then you know what you'll buy into? You'll buy into and you'll get caught in an approval trap and you'll buy into Satan's lie. And that, that is this, to feel good about myself. I must have the approval of certain people. And if I don't get their approval, I feel horrible. And if I get their approval, I feel okay. But Derwin Gray, he said this. It's just a wonderful quote. It's not mine. I just want to be clear. Derwin Gray, Derwin Gray said this. He played linebacker or cornerback for the, the Colts and met Christ. Uh, anyway, I won't tell you a story. I'll tell you this quote. <laughs> Derwin said this. If Jesus' approval is not enough for you, no amount of human approval will ever be enough. Propitiation is another doctrine, and that's just a big theological word. That means it's, a, it's something that happens to satisfy the wrath of someone who's been unjustly wrong. It's an act in your life or it's an understanding that soothes the hostility and satisfies the need in your life for vengeance, revenge. If you don't understand this, you'll get caught in a blame trap and you'll just kind of blame everybody or maybe you'll blame yourself. And those that get caught into this, they'll believe Satan's lie and those who, who fail are unworthy of love and de deserve to be demeaned and condemned. When you don't understand propitiation, when someone fails around you, you think it's quite all right to condemn them and to judge them. The last one is regeneration, and you heard me read that word. It's a special work of God that literally makes every believer a new person in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, that Christ is our Savior, and that all of our all of our sins have been forgiven past, present, and, 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 and future. And listen, if you, if you don't understand this, you'll get caught up in what is called the shame trap. You'll just feel shame over your past. You'll buy, buy into Satan's lie that says there is something wrong with me that can really never be prepared, repaired. 
they can really never be forgiven. Maybe it was a, maybe in your past, maybe it was maybe it was, maybe it was something that happened to you at childhood, maybe it was something that you did in childhood. Maybe in your past it was a divorce for you. Uh, maybe it was maybe it was an adultery. Maybe it was something that you stole. Maybe you cheated. Maybe you slandered someone. Maybe it was your fault. A relationship ended, and and you have you have that sin, that thought in your life. That guess what? Because of that, see that's what Satan will do to you. Because of that, guess what? Because of that, there is absolutely something wrong with, and you'll feel shame. Listen, you'll feel shame the rest of your life. And so listen, let me tell you something. Over the next four weeks, five, but the next four, uh, five counting tonight, four after this, I'm just going to unpack this. And I want you to understand the gospel. Because I'm telling you, when the world goes south, we need to understand the gospel. So here's five quick things just as we kick this off. Here's what Paul's saying about this whole thing. That if we're going to live the Jesus way, if we're going to follow him, the first thing is this, is we must be genuine. We, we must be genuine people. If we're ever going to convince anybody, persuade anyone, you heard the words when Paul said that we want to persuade people to follow Christ. We want to, want to influence them to follow Christ. And if we're ever going to do that, then we have to be genuine people. We have to be transparent people. We have to be genuine and, and, and in life. He, he put it this way, verse 11, Therefore, since we know that the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people, we, we are as plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. And so Paul is trying to say, you know what? I'm trying to live lives, transparency in my life. I don't want to be more perfect than I appear. And I get it, right? We all get it. There's, there's confessed theology, and then there's, there's theoretical theology. There's, there's, there's theology that we confess, there's theology that we live. And, and there's a gap. If we're honest, there's a gap in all of us. I mean, if we're honest, in becoming more and more like Christ is to close, is to close that gap. And so Paul's like, I, I don't want to appear like I got it all together. I mean, there, I mean, Paul is saying what I am is plain, and, and I, I, I'm not trying to cover up. And there, there's a temptation, right? If you don't understand the gospel, if you don't understand those four doctrines and you already don't feel good about yourself, you already have shame, you already have guilt, then you're going to try to cover up because of the guilt and the shame that you feel and you're, you're going to pretend. For some, it's hard for some people to admit their imperfections. Some Christians try to conceal their mistakes from the world and, and they think that's the way to in, impress others and to persuade others. But I don't know if you're like me. The people who influence me aren't the people that appear to be perfect because I could never measure up to that. I'm not perfect. It was the people that were real. It was the people that were honest. And I mean, Paul's talking about this issue that, man, I, I, I don't cover up. I mean, one time in Scripture, I mean, it's just so bold. Paul, at this, at this moment, I mean, at this moment, he just looks at them and says, hey, I've got to be honest with you. There are times in my life the things that I want to do, I end up not doing. And the things that I don't want to do, that I said I wouldn't do, that's what I end up doing. What a wretched man am I. And then all of a sudden he drops down, verse 14, and he says, for the love of Christ, what? The love, the love of Christ compels us. It compels us to live rightly. It compels us to follow him. 
It compels us. I mean, I've already told you it meant to master over us, to where he masters over us, to where, where he is our priority. It is Christ's love that compels us as a church to continue to reach people. It's Christ's love as a church that compels us to spend more money outside of here than we spend on ourselves, to give stuff away, to minister to people, single moms oil change and adopting schools and, and Parkview Hospital. And, and we, we fed all of the, 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 the frontline workers, uh, police and fire and paramedics. We've already done all of that. And we also, at the same time, we care deeply about politics. There's nothing wrong with that. We care deeply about I encourage you to be engaged. I encourage you to vote because politics affect the lives of people. It affects the marginalized, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the unborn, the people who don't have a voice, the marginalized in society. And so I, I've told you, we should be a part of that process. However, we should still maintain our witness for him. And the way that we handle it should be evident to all that, guess what? Jesus is still our priority. And we still have a witness to the resurrected Christ. That means, that means we live out. Listen, we live out the teachings of Jesus. And, and one of the important questions to like ask yourself, especially in times like this when you're trying to make decisions, you ask yourself, what will, what will God bless? What, what, will, what will God bless? What will God bless in my life? And, and you can go back to Matthew chapter 5, the, the Beatitudes, and uh, verses 3 through 10, and all of a sudden Jesus gives us this, blessed are the people are blessed if they do these things, and blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers. I, January 6th, I just want to know where are the peacemakers a lot of times I ask that on social media, right? We're just where are the peacemakers? Sometimes, and he says, he says, we're ambassadors of him. And sometimes when we're not peacemakers, and we're judgmental, and we're demeaning, and we're degrading, and we're talking about and mimicking and making fun of, since we're ambassadors of him, people will think, you know what? God's judgmental. God is not love. It is so easy to get angry. It's so easy to get outraged. And resort to violence, as I'm telling you, takes courage. It takes courage to walk to Jesus' way. That's why it's called the narrow path. Numbers chapter 20, and it's just one of my favorite stories of Moses. And Moses was like having a bad hair day. I don't know if you've ever had a bad hair day. It, for Moses, it wasn't a bad hair day. It was like a bad hair month. Uh, he was leading the children of Israel. You can read it for yourself. I'll give you the cliff notes. He's leading the children of Israel. His sister Miriam, she dies. He buries his sisters. His sister, he's, he's grieving. Uh, the people like hate him. Uh, it's, it's, they, they're, they're, they, they don't like following him. They're grumbling. They want a different leader. They don't think he has faith. They want somebody else. And so they're talking about him. Then they're talking about, you know what? We need to go back. We were better off in Egypt. We should go back. We should have never. And so, I mean, Moses has like decision fatigue. I don't know if you've ever had decision fatigue. It's like one decision after another. Your emotions are like right up to the surface. And then they run out of water. Legitimate need. 
So they run out of water, so Moses does the right thing. He goes into the tent of meeting. He falls down on his face before God, asks God what to do. God says, you know what? You take that staff. That staff represented the presence of God. You take that staff. You go out in, 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 the, in, in the people. You gather, you gather them around, and then you speak graciously to the rock, and then water's going to gush out. And so Moses, you know, so far so good, right? And then Moses gets up and Moses goes out. He gets the people around and they gather around. So far so good. And then Moses says, thus saith the Lord, so far so good. And then all of a sudden he got angry. And you know what he did? He called them names. He said, listen, you rebels. And then he went on and he demeaned them. He degraded them. He made fun of them for a legitimate need. They needed water. And then out of anger, instead of speaking to the rock, he took the staff, which signified and symbolized the presence of God, and he struck the rock twice. And God honored. God honored the staff. God honored the presence of God. And, and water didn't just seep out of the rock. It, it, it gushed. It flowed out of the rock, and the people had plenty to drink. And as a result of that, God told Moses, you don't get to go into the, the promised land because you demeaned and degraded my people. I wonder what would happen in Moses' life if he had focused on the faithfulness of God instead of the fickleness of people. I wonder what would happen in our life if we continue like Psalm 4, that we, we prayed and worship, if we just focused on the faithfulness of, of God. And, and I, mean, I mean, do we believe do we believe God is still in charge? Do we believe God is sovereign? It, it happened in Isaiah chapter 6 and King Uzziah, 52 years reign, and it was peace and prosperity and their superpower, and he dies. And the whole land was unsettled. And then all of a sudden, a prophet, a preacher, Isaiah, shows up and says, says you know what? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and seated on the throne. God is still in charge. Holy, holy, holy is a God Almighty. Paul put it this way. Paul said, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. Second thing is this, is we must be convinced of the gospel. Not only do we have to trust that God is in charge, but do we believe that the gospel is true? Do we believe that the gospel is still better at changing the hearts and minds of people than anything else? Listen, I, I, still, I still believe in the hope and the strength of the gospel. That the gospel still changes minds and hearts and marriages and, and brings the prodigals back in the hearts of people. I mean, I, I would give my life for the gospel. It's this belief of the gospel that led Karen and I to like liquidate everything in 1995, come to Pueblo, Colorado, plant a church on this belief that it is the gospel, the pure preaching of the gospel that changes lives. Over 25 years, do you realize here at Fellowship of the Rockies, we've seen over, over 2,500 people follow the Lord in believers' baptism. It has been an amazing thing. And guess what? I still believe in the power and the strength of, of the gospel. That's, that's what led Karen and I about two years back and say, you know what? We're not coasting into retirement. 
We're, we're going to trust him radically just as we trusted him in our younger days, uh, when we were in our 30s and when we were in our 40s and even when we were in our 50s. And Paul writes, verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion, that one died for all and therefore all died. He just keeps hammering this issue of the gospel, verse 15, and he died for all so that those who should li- should those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And I, and I get it. A gospel Christian, a convinced Christian will get criticism in the world when they talk about Jesus. When they talk about following the way of Jesus, whether in the way of Herod or the way of Caesar, remember the, remember the Garden of Gethsemane? And all of a sudden, Simon Peter drew a sword and whacked off the guy's ear, and, and, and Jesus healed him, put the ear back on, and said, Simon Peter, don't you know I could have called down 10,000 angels and stopped this if I wanted to? There's the way of Herod and the way of Caesar, but there is a way of the kingdom of God. The third thing is this. It is so important that we must have a spiritual perspective. If we're going to walk through this, we have to see things from a spiritual perspective and not an earthly perspective. Verse 16, from now on then, we do not, do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we, we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet n- now we no longer know him in this way. Paul, if you know anything about his career, he was an ambitious young man. He was going to be a member of the Supreme Court, he was the Sanhedrin in their day, and nothing was going to stop him. But all of a sudden, this, this movement called the way, it was Jesus and the Messiah and people, Jewish people, were accepting Christ, and all of a sudden, Jesus threatened his goals, and Paul did everything he could to stamp out Christianity. But Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and Paul accepted him and inverted his values. And verse 7 in Philippians chapter 3, he says, But everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. In other words, his goals, his goals changed. The first, just real quickly, the first impact of the gospel was this. It broke down barriers between us and them. No more Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. It broke down these barriers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Oh, and guess what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Even that person you disagree with. Just even that person you disagree with. Paul writes in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. For we come to this place, and we understand the ways of Jesus. That what Galatians tells us is the one of the ways that we can see this, is that when it brings out in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. The fourth thing is this, is we must see the urgency in this. If you know anything about eschatology, the the study of end times, we all know the world is going to get darker and darker and darker. And the church is going to get brighter and brighter and brighter. God is going to get his church ready. Because the church is going to begin focusing on the gospel again. In verse 20, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. 
He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God working together with him. We also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I listened to you and in the day of salvation I helped you. See now, it is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. When you look at this issue of ambassadors, ambassadors do several things. They do three things. It's a commissioning for a special assignment. And so we're commissioned to spread the gospel. The second thing is, it's representing the sender. We represent Christ. That's why people, the world, will make an assessment of how God is the way that we treat them. And then it's exercising the authority of the sender. And Paul is talking, listen, Paul is talking. Paul is talking about the urgency in this. Jesus taught about this issue that we need to let our light shine. And listen, I got to tell you, I, I'm probably like many of you, is there are times when, there are times when I don't let my light shine. The fact is, I had this thought the other day, I was, I was like in the crawl space and I was putting some stuff away, and I had this crummy flashlight, I mean the flashlight's like 20, 30 years old, uh, I know they make LED flashlights now that are much better, but I, I, have, a, I have a relationship with this flashlight, and so I, I like this flashlight, and I'm, I'm in the crawl space, and so, I mean, I, I had the, you know, it's, a, it's an old school mag, mag light with a, with a light bulb in it, you know. And I, I got it on and I got it working. I'm in the crawl space. And then all of a sudden it flickers and goes out. And so if you have this kind of flashlight, you know how to fix it. You just bang it enough and like it lights back up. And then you get, you do what you need to do, and then it goes out, and you bang it some more. And I kind of like, I mean, we have a relationship. I know how many times to bang it and where to bang it and get it to work. But I got frustrated because it left me in the dark. And when I was in the dark, I, I, I couldn't see and I, and, and I wanted to see. And so I looked at the flashlight and I said, you know what? You're like sometimes a light. And then I thought, you know what? That's sometimes me. Sometimes I'm a light. Sometimes in the season that we're in, with everything that we're dealing with, change like every day, differing opinions, people angry over this, people not angry over this, friendships dividing, relationships dividing, because how someone views something, that if we're not careful, well, let me just speak for me. Sometimes I'm not alive. And we need to understand that God has called us to be a light. Just give you just four things about what, what I do when someone asks me how to accept Christ or what is the gospel, and maybe you're here and maybe you're wondering, maybe you want to take notes so that you can share your faith. The first thing I just tell them, you know what? God loves you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're to the right, to the left. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter your job, it doesn't matter your past, it doesn't matter anything about you. I just want you to know God loves you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That, and that word everyone is so important to understand the gospel. That literally means everyone. God doesn't choose who he's going to save and who he's not going to save. And everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And I tell them, you know what, I just got to tell you, our sin separates us from God. Our actions, 
in Romans 3.23. And I just, I mean, I can do this. I can do this and I can, I can walk a fair way and do this. And I say, you know what? For all of, sh- of sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's me. That's you. And I says, you know what? Jesus is the only way. And Jesus says, said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And then I just simply look at them and say, would you, would you like to receive him? The fact is, that's the fifth point. We must personally receive him. And I just look at them and say, would you, would you like to receive him? And listen, let me tell you something. More people have told me no than yes. And I say, would you, would you like to receive him? I got some that I'm still getting texts from and say, hey, thank you for not being judgmental. Thank you for not being angry. Thank you for loving us. I'm still pondering what you told me on the seventh fairway or wherever. And then I tell them, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you want to receive him, this is how you do it. That if you'll just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. One believes in the the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. And I tell them, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel. That's how you accept him. Right now in the world in which we live, people are getting confused about this issue of the gospel. And it's so simple. It's not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus plus my performance. It's not Jesus plus me trying to work my way to heaven. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. He is enough. He is enough. And then, and then when we receive him, it says he adopts us into the family. We're going to look at adoption. Do you realize that means once you're in, you can't get out, no matter what you do? No matter what you do. My two daughters, Brittany and Amanda, if they ever came to the day and they said, Dad, I, I never want a relationship with you ever again. I never want to be with you. I never want to talk to you again. Guess what? They would still be my child. We may not be in relationship or fellowship, but we're in relationship. They're still my child. They're still my child. There's assurance of salvation. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? If you've never accepted him and maybe no one's ever explained the gospel to you, then I am asking you, do you know him? Have you accepted him? If you're watching online right now, you can click live prayer and a prayer partner will meet you in a virtual room and they will guide you through this process. We have people every week online that are accepting Christ and wanting to get baptized. And we thank the Lord for you. Do you know him? Have you come to the place to where you've confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, asking to come in your life, realize that he loves you, your sin has separated you from him, that Jesus is the only way? If you haven't done that, would you just do that tonight, right now? 
Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. For those of you that have done that, is there someone you just need to share with? And say, I just, man, I just need you to know God loves you. And our sin separates us from him. And that Jesus is the only way. And if you'd like to accept him, it's just that easy. And you can come to church with me and I'll help you. Tonight, do you just need to focus that he is good? Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And Father, we thank you for the gospel. Would you just give us as a church, as a, as, as a people group, a crystal clear understanding of the gospel? And would it bring us freedom? Would it bring us life? Would it bring us assurance? For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with me? And just real quickly, as you stand with me, if, if you've made a decision online, in person, there's several ways you can let us know. On, in, online, uh, you can go to the top of the screen. There's a connect card button. You can click that. You can fill that out. Whether you've accepted Christ, you'd like to follow him in believer's baptism. If you're watching it live, you can click the live prayer button and someone will chat with you. Um, if you're in person, there's a QR code on the seat back in front of you. Uh, you can take a screenshot or use your camera. If you don't know how to do it, get a five-year-old. They'll help you. And uh, <laughs> that's how that works. And uh, Or there's old school cards out in the Welcome Center. You can grab that. You can fill them out with a sanitized pen and put it in the box. And then we'll get with you and we'll talk to you talk you through that may he make his face shine upon you may he give you joy and this week may you know the peace of Christ assured of the gospel thank you for being here you're dismissed <laughs>